been redeemed. I went to Vons on Friday. My wife sent me across town to save $2, or at least I thought, and spent $8 worth of gas to save $2. And let me tell you, my life has been changed forever. And so I'm not just a good father, a good husband. I'm a good coupon clipper. I got the Vons app on my phone. I don't even know if I have the Bible app, but I got the Vons app on my phone. And I can show you how to save some money. Anybody want to save some money? Sure, avocados are $1.67. I, just, I haven't memorized, and so it's amazing. I'm so excited, and I'm even more excited to, to share God's word and, and, and preach today. I feel like God's been speaking to me uh, through Genesis. Interesting enough, my aunt gave me a Bible when I was six years old for my sixth uh, birthday, and um, I was super mad about that gift because I'm like, she gave me King James Version and I couldn't really understand anything. I had just learned to read, and my, mom, my aunt gave me a King James Version. And so I would read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and then I'd get, like, discouraged by Genesis chapter 4, and I'd stop. But interesting enough, to this day, the passage of Scripture in the Bible I'm most fascinated about is still to this day Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, where humanity was created by God and given purpose. And this is important to know because... Sometimes in, 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 my, in my, my time being a pastor, in my time being a Christian, I have people come up and say, hey, my, my boss is an atheist. Can you pray? And yeah, we want to pray. Um, but atheism is just not believing that there's some higher power up there. And the opposite of being an atheist is not Christianity. It's just being a theist. It's just believing that somewhere up there, God exists, something exists. Don't follow it. Don't have a relationship. But Christianity is powerful. It is being, you know, sons and daughters created in the image of God, being saved from our sins, things restored in our life that have plagued us for years. Christianity is not just a belief system, it's a become system. It's as you believe, you become like Jesus in the process, and it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, and God calls those that are not as if they were, and he calls you his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but I rarely feel like a masterpiece. When God was creating the heavens and the earth, he worked on the, the, the earth for, for all this time and then created uh, man and said, oh, it's, this is good. This is very good. And then, come on, how many of us know that? Then he made Adam, and then Adam uh, had a rib taken away from him. And I went to Vaughn's and got some of those ribs back. You know what I mean? And like, God's just working wonders. You know what I mean? Come on, can somebody praise God for restoration? I got three slabs of ribs for $15. See, Adam lost a rib, but God has the ability to restore. If you are clapping for that, you should. I'm like, yeah, you ain't even worship God yet. But yeah, come on, man. Fourth of July is coming up. You know ribs are going to come in, in a sermon. I had somebody tell me one time, you know how you know? Never mind, I'm not going to say that joke. I don't want to get distracted, but it's really funny. Come see me afterwards, I'll tell you. And so I, I want to preach a message called reverse the curse. Reverse the curse. Because some things happen in Genesis chapter 3 that were never meant to happen. And I want to dive into that because, again, this is not just believing that there's some higher power. If we get continued revelation on what Jesus has actually redeemed, what he has reversed, nobody in here is under a curse. When you follow Jesus, Jesus has reversed the curse. And I want us to take a look at Genesis chapter 3 so we can discover some of the things that Jesus reversed with his shed blood and his sacrifice for us on the cross. And then, three days later... 
Come on, don't you love the lyrics? That three days later, he rose, and his resurrection redeemed so many things for us. So if you have your Bible, um, get off the Vons app right now and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It starts with this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see that right there? That is the beginning of the curse. When the enemy shows up and asks you, did God really say? It's one of the attacks that happened to me the most. Did God really say that there's a plan for your life? Did God really say you're going to get married one day? Did God really say you should start that business? Did God really say? And he begins to question or make you question, should I say, what God said. What God said in his word about you, what God said to you personally in your time with prayer, doesn't he show up and say, did God really say that? And, and the interesting thing is Eve responded so confidently when the enemy said, hey, did God, through the serpent, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit from the trees in the garden? And Eve was like, of course. She was so confident. Of course, yeah. We can be able to eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, I mean, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And, and God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. She almost had it right. Because if you look in Genesis chapter 2, God never said you couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat it and you'll die. And she's answering confidently. See, God said, um, yeah, we can't, we can't eat it. Oh, yeah, we can't touch it. Oh, we'll surely die. And, and it's interesting. She had the word of the Lord a little off, and it did a lot of damage. You ever play that game telephone? Where, where, like, you get a bunch of people in a circle, and you tell one person one thing in their ear, and then they repeat it to the other person, and by the time it gets around the full circle, it's all wrong. I feel like if we're not careful as a church, we can play telephone with God's word. And it's not something we read. I think I heard somewhere. And so like somebody is preaching something, you listen to a podcast and they tell you about it and then they tell somebody else about it. Then somebody puts it on a coffee mug and then next thing you know, you're like, God works in mysterious ways and the Bible never says that. Or next thing you know, it's like, God will never put more on you than you can bear. And the Bible doesn't say that. It says he'll never allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. Or then someone tells you, hey, I think you might want to work on that. And you say, only God can judge me. And that's not in the Bible. That's All Eyes on Me, Tupac album. You know what I'm saying? It's not there. It's not there. And when the church plays telephone, a, a, a little off can do a lot of damage. If you're on a plane going to New York and they just moved the coordinates a little bit, you'd end up in Toronto grieving Kawhi going to the Clippers. You see, I just spoke that into existence. That's what you would be doing if it was just a little off. You wouldn't be in New York. You'd be in Canada if it's a little off. And I think it's, we need to watch the, the word of God and make sure that we're quoting it correctly. Because the enemy shows up in your life and you better not be a little off because then he can do a lot of damage. And the enemy's not going to wait for you to get it right. He's, he's telling you you're not good enough. He's not going to wait on you and say, okay, hold on, devil. Yep. Uh, where's that? Uh, Ephesians? Uh, chapter 2. No, chapter 1. Hold on, hold on. Stop attacking me. Uh, stop trying to... Wait, hold on. I got it. Ephesians 2. I'm a masterpiece. It's somewhere in there. 
He's not going to wait on you. You better know what God has to say about you in his word because when he shows up, if it's a little off, it's going to do a lot of damage. A little off will do a lot of damage. And the enemy shows up and he starts telling Eve, and why was she off? This is why I encourage you to read the word for yourself. Why was she off? Why did the enemy approach her in the first place? Not because she was a woman, don't you? But women have the same ability to hear from God as anybody else. She, I believe, we can't prove it, but it is possible that he approached Eve because she wasn't there when God said it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that, that God created Adam, spoke to Adam, here's what you can eat. Then he put Adam to sleep, took a rib from Adam. Adam woke up, oh man, I'm missing a rib, but sees Eve and says, that might have been worth three ribs. <laughs> then he must have told Eve what God said because Eve wasn't there when God said it. So this is why it's so dangerous to keep throwing around God said and not check it with other people because a little off will do a lot of damage. Some of us are following a prophetic word that's a little off and it's doing a lot of damage. When Samuel, a prophet, slept in the presence of God, he was knocked out next to the Ark of the Covenant, slept, and he had a hard time telling whether it was God and told the priest Eli, and Eli had to tell him it was God. Sleeping in the presence of God and confused. If Samuel had to hear from God three times, how are we so sure all the time? A little off will do a lot of damage. That's why community has to check that stuff and say, brother, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to marry that famous person that you, some of you got a word about. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Little off did a lot of damage, so the devil showed up and she misquoted it because God never said you couldn't touch it. And, and so what he did is he started off with attacking what God said. That, that begins the curse that Jesus wants to revert. He, he attacked what God said. Then he attacked her interpretation of what God said. Then the next thing he said is in verse 4, he tells her, you won't die. So he made her believe that her actions didn't have the consequences God said. Right? See, that's, that's sometimes what he, he does to me. Like, people preach grace, and I believe in the power of grace, but grace can also contain consequences. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. He chastises. Come on, sometimes I, I punish my kids because I love them. I'm not saying that God's punished you. Hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I learned that from my pastors. I got to say what I'm not saying and what I'm saying because some of y'all are like, God is punishing me because I can't pay my bills. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to actually look and say, do I manage my money well because there's not enough grace that you ain't got to get on a budget. Grace isn't so you don't have to get on a budget. Grace is that when you do and you obey God, he'll, he'll, he'll give you the fruit and the blessing like you've been on a budget for 10 years and it's been 10 months. You know what I mean? Like, that's what grace does. And so he, he, he made Eve believe that the consequence of her action, oh, you won't die. God just knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both the, the difference between good and evil. Think about that for a second. The very first sin in all of humanity was not Adam you know, seeing another girl in a garden, not Adam partying, drinking with his friends, not Adam doing a bunch of stuff, not, not so many of the sins that, that make us go, oh, 
The, the first sin was attached to people trying to be like God. The first sin was not in the sin that we love to categorize sin. The first sin was Adam and Eve and God wanted the same thing, but they did it the devil's way. God's purpose, God's plan, God's will, the devil's way was the first sin. It was God's purpose that they would be like him. He said in Genesis chapter 2, let us create man. Genesis chapter 1, let us create man in our image. We want you to be like us through relationship, not through eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and they both had the same goal. And the Bible says that when Eve saw that it looked good, that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. She was convinced, she took some of the fruit, and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, he's like, that looks so good, he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Are you following what I'm saying? So here, when you catch this, the devil shows up and he starts telling lies. Lies about God, lies about what God said. Are you following me? But watch this. It says that they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. Genesis 2 verse 25 says this, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Are you following what I'm saying? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their circumstances didn't change. Their perspective did. Now, all of a sudden, they felt shame. They realized they were naked, and they felt shame. Here is one of the hardest things I need to overcome in my life. Honestly, I feel like I'm pretty good when the enemy shows up and tries to tell me a lie. But where I struggle is where the enemy shows up and tells me the truth, but it was never meant to matter. See, they were naked, but it wasn't supposed to matter. Now they felt shame about something that they realized about themselves that was true, but it was never meant to matter. See, sometimes the enemy tries to tell you about something about yourself that is not true, and you got to come against a lie. And we love to say, I, I send that lie back to the pit of hell where it came from. But what about when the enemy tells you something that's true? You know you're on your second marriage. That's not a lie. It's true, but it doesn't matter. I believe God has somebody for you in this next season. What about when he tries to tell you, oh, who are you? You can't lead in church. You, you've been at Oasis nine years. I've been, people have been doing this 30 years. He's not lying to me. It's true, but it don't matter. I'm here because God sent me to be here. He filled me with his spirit, and he's using me as an example of what God could do if they would just believe and surrender their lives to Jesus. The enemy tells me things all the time that are true, but they don't matter. Oh, you're too, you're too old for that. That might be true, but it don't matter. In Jeremiah chapter 1, what, what, is, what does Jeremiah tell God? I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And notice God doesn't say to Jeremiah, no, you're not. You're the perfect age for what I want to do with your life. You're perfect. I mean, I wanted you to be how old he was. I wanted you to be 18, and you're 18 and a half. And I said to myself, when Jeremiah gets 18 and a half, he's going to be the perfect age. Don't let the enemy lie to you. You're the perfect age. No, he never corrected what Jeremiah said. He simply said, don't say that. He didn't say that's not true. He said, don't say it. 
When enemy comes, say, hey, it's over. You're way too old for that to happen. Just say, I might be old, but it don't matter. Because God's going to use me anyway. What, what, what messed Abraham up? And sometimes God will wait until you're old so everybody knows it's him. It makes sense when you're 25 and you meet your husband. You're looking your best you ever going to look. But when you're 45, come on, you got to believe. Somebody got to believe, God, that it doesn't, it's true, but it don't matter. I might not be the, at the prime age everybody's getting married, but it doesn't matter. God's going to do it anyway. Sometimes you got to look the enemy in the face and not tell him it's a lie because it's the truth. It's the truth, but it don't matter. God's power, God's grace supersedes my reality. It's true, but it don't matter. These are the hardest things I have to overcome. And, and Adam and Eve realized something that was true. They were naked, but it was never meant to matter. And I feel like if the enemy can make us focus on improving what's true, but was never meant to matter, we'll be distracted our whole lives. And look what happens. He says to them that they, they were naked and they were ashamed, and this is what happened. And in verse 8, they said the cool breeze was blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees, hiding from the Creator and what He created. We love to do that, don't we? Man, being a pastor is one of the best places to hide. Because God created it. You can hide in creation pretty easily. You can hide in it. But they hid in what he created, hiding from their creator and what he created. And the Lord God called out to him and said, where, where are you? Obviously, he knew where they were. God knows everything. The next verse isn't, we behind the bush. Oh, I didn't know. He obviously knew where they were at. This is a spiritual question. This was a, a presence question. He had been used to the proximity. So it wasn't that he, God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. He was, he could feel their, their spiritual distance from him. And he said, where are you? And they replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? That's the question God has for some of us today. Oh, we think we're never, this is never gonna, this is never gonna happen. We're never gonna start the business. And God's like, have you, oh, you've been on your buddy's Instagram that their profits are up. Have you been, oh yeah, you're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Oh, have you been going to another wedding? Oh, you went to another wedding. Oh, have you, we all got a tree we're eating from that makes, have you, hey, I got a question. Have you, oh, yeah, so, oh, yeah, you want to be in ministry. Oh, but you've been watching all the young pastors, and now you're not, oh, you've been watching them again, haven't you? I want to ask you, I feel like God will show up right now and ask you this question. What tree have you been eating from? Because what, what drove them away from God was simply one word, consumption. What they consumed changed what they assumed about themselves and God. Think about this. Oh, have you been doing that again? Have you been, oh, you want to be a music artist? Oh you, oh, you went to another concert and you saw all the lights and you saw how they hit every note. Oh, 
oh yeah, you've been doing that again. We all have this tree that we keep eating from that makes us believe something different about ourselves and something different from God. And that is the tree that God's saying, don't eat that. Don't consume that. Don't get that into your spirit. And then he, it says, the, the Adam, I love Adam, the woman you gave me. Adam was a chief, man. I feel like if I made a mistake, I would be that guy. God will show up. I'll be hiding from him behind a bookcase or something. And I'm like, Christina, the woman you gave me made me, she the one that made me mad. We do that. The woman you gave me made me mad, made me upset, made me fall out of love with her. We, 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 just, we just blame. So the woman you gave me. And, I, and it's, it's funny to me because then God turns to the, the, the woman and she says, the, the serpent deceived me. So interesting enough, she got it right. She blamed the right person. And if we're not careful, we can be like Adam. It's not necessarily a man and a woman thing. I think it's a church thing. But we can say to God, the church you gave me hurt me. But God gave you this church. Jumping up and down, out there twirling the signs. Welcome. One offense, and you down the street at another church. Talking about God, the church you gave me was the one who... The, the wife you gave me, the husband you gave me, God, this job and this purpose you gave me is now hurting me. And we start to blame the thing that God gave us for the situation that we're in. And then Eve did something powerful though. She said, the serpent deceives me. And then God shows up, and, and, and I want you to catch this. God asks Adam, what happened? Where are you? Adam says, the woman you gave me. Then he turns to Eve. Eve said, the serpent Deceive me. God turns to the, the serpent, the devil, and says this, because you have done this. We got to do that more often when the, God, when, when the enemy brings division between us and other people. Can you imagine if you're in an argument and somebody hurt you and offended you and you know you're supposed to walk with them, you know they're supposed to be your friend, you know they're supposed to be your spouse, you know they're supposed to be a leader on your team, wherever God is, you know they're supposed to be your employee. Can you imagine if you just, hold on a second, and turn to the devil, because you have done this. Can you imagine if we stopped blaming and, and put the blame, because you have done this, he says, you will be cursed. You'd be cursed. I want you to really fathom this scenario playing out. God himself in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and they have committed the worst sin of all time because it's the sin they committed that made me and you so janky. It was all their fault. The worst sin ever committed, the one that damaged all of humanity. Your sin messes you up. Their sin messed us up. And God is with them that all people that would come from them would be messed up, born into drama forever because of them. And God hears them out and then turns to the devil and curses them. Yeah. And we, we can't even call our sister back. Y'all don't know my sister, she's a serpent. No, no, no. You need to call her. You need to restore that relationship. You need to learn to turn to the enemy in the middle of the person you're arguing with, the person that hurt you, and turn to the enemy and say, because you've done this, you are cursed. And then God does something to, to Adam and Eve that I want you to catch. He doesn't turn to Adam and Eve and curse them. Look what he says. He says, the ground is cursed. He cursed the thing 
that was meant to bring about their provision. And he said, now you're going to have to work and strive for something that you just would have been able to have, that you would have had dominion for. Now you got to work for what used to belong to, dominion. And dominion is work. But they weren't going to work for it. They were going to work because of it. It was theirs. And, and the harvest is work. And the planting is work. But it belonged to them. And now it doesn't. And they had to work for it to get it back. He didn't curse them. He cursed the ground. And we don't understand this. We don't understand that Jesus came to reverse the curse. See how I caught that? Come on, you ain't clapping loud enough. That was fire. It was like halfway down, and I'm just like, but that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm putting my Bible up here so it doesn't happen because I think it's the, the AC, but do you understand that Jesus came to re reverse that? And, and here as we unpack Genesis chapter 3, we can understand what Jesus did when he came and, and he brought this gospel message. That was so hard for the religious leaders to understand because the religious leaders were like, if this is going to change, we have to change it. We have to strive it. And then one of the religious leaders, Nicodemus, shows up in John chapter 3, not understanding that Jesus wants to reverse the curse. And Nicodemus says, how can this be that this can happen? And Jesus say, you said, you must be born again. We got to start over. This is not a, a new and improved. It's just new. We got to start over so you can come to church now because of what Jesus did on the cross and you can be 40 and you can raise your hand at the end of a church service and you're a little baby in the spirit. That's the hardest thing to manage because some of you I'm a grown man, I'm a grown woman, but in the spirit, you just got here. And God then gives you the rest of your life to grow up in the presence of the Lord and all obedience and all surrender creates acceleration in that process. And so your obedience creates an acceleration. This is why I want to tell you obedience is important because that puts the gas on purpose. I'm not lucky. We don't have to live our lives waiting for luck. We can be obedient, we can surrender to the voice of God and what God is telling us to do. We can serve other people and be a servant and it will accelerate all that God has for you. Jesus came and he reversed it and he's telling Nicodemus, hey, you gotta be born again, born of water and born of the spirit. And the guy starts telling him, how can this be? How can they go back in the womb? And he's like, you don't know, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a respected Bible teacher and you don't know these things. And he says, he gives them the gospel message and he tells them, that just like the wind, so will these people born of the Spirit. You don't know where they're going, you don't know where they're coming from, and it's okay that you don't know, but it'll be like that because I'll guide them, I'll lead them. They won't have to know so much. Think about this. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Jesus reversed it. In John chapter 3, he says, they'll be like the wind. Like the wind, nobody knows where it's going, nobody knows where it's coming from. Now it's not gonna be knowledge that they know, it's gonna be me. And they're gonna follow me, and I'm gonna lead them. This is why us having so much information before we move forward can be dangerous if we're not careful. Because sometimes God won't tell you. I'm telling you right now, I listen to, 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 to stories from how our church was started 
and it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And the most important things we've ever done as a church in 35 years were the things that made no sense. Just the wind. We didn't know. We didn't know what God was doing or where. We just made that, that jump. This building is one of them. You like this building? People up there sitting by the stained glass window. And our pastors were crazy enough to think we could buy this place. Crazy. And then it took someone crazy enough to sell it to them. <laughs> think about that. Everybody's just crazy. Nobody's walking around like, yep, this makes perfect sense. We looked at the numbers. We looked at the bank account. And yep, this, nope, no. It made no sense. It was God. It was like the wind brought us here. Searching for a building for how many years? 10, 15? It's like the wind. How did this happen? If you don't ever get to a place, and you don't have to ask yourself, and everybody else can tell you it's because you're so gifted, because you're so anointed, because you were so obedient, because you're so amazing, but in your own quiet time, you got to be asking God, like, how did we? Oh, Pastor Julian, you're so amazing. God's using you. But when I'm alone with God, me be, and be God laugh. <laughs> we laugh. I can't believe it. Sometimes we get off this platform and just laugh. I can't believe they still give me this microphone. <laughs> it's, it's, he reversed it, though. And let me tell you something from Genesis chapter 3 that I believe Jesus has reversed in my life, and he's in the process of reversing some. I'm not perfect, but I believe there's some, some things from Genesis chapter 3 that, that Jesus came, died, and, and wants to reverse in your life. The first one is this. He, he reversed the curse of proximity. They closed the Garden of Eden. And Jesus reversed the, the curse of proximity. Why? Because proximity to God will, is how everything God wants to do in your life will flow. Proximity. Not just belief. Proximity. And proximity increases with desire. And so many times in my life, I want to desire what God has for me than God himself. I want to desire what Jesus wants to give me more than Jesus himself. And I challenge myself, and I'm trying to challenge myself to, to make Jesus my number one desire. Not ministry, not nothing else, but Jesus. And then everything I do is, and it's hard. It's really hard. I can say it, I can preach it, but it's hard. I don't know whether it's harder if, if things aren't going well or it's harder when things, but I told somebody the other day, you, God, you don't have to send me back to a futon to teach me a lesson. I promise you that. I want to learn how to hear you in the palace. I want to learn how to hear the whisper of God on the way to the bank. I, like, I want to pull up to Chase with two big old bags and have God just whisper to me in the parking lot. I am not trying to be on no futon so my, my hearing gets stronger. I'm good. Now, if I have to go there, I'll go. But I don't want to learn nothing like I had, how I used to have to learn stuff. I'm good. Right? We, we have to learn to, to follow God and be, and be one in proximity to God. He reversed the curse of proximity. Listen to this crazy verse. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. Maybe you feel like you're absent. How could God possibly want to be near me? I want you to... Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 35 through 45. It says this. The people stood watching. This is Jesus being crucified. 
And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This moment wasn't about Jesus saving himself. It was about saving you and me. And so there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Like, just threw that in. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he had the audacity, lived his whole life in sin, and had the audacity to turn to Jesus. One good thing came out of his mouth. He's getting ready to die. He hasn't had the chance to even do anything. He only said something good. And he had the audacity to say, it might be true, but it doesn't matter because this is, a save, this is the Savior, the Son of God. He had the audacity to realize something about him was true, that he was a criminal, but in that moment it didn't matter. And he's crazy enough to say, Jesus, will you remember me? That's faith. That's Christianity to me, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you don't deserve it. You know why so many times people don't get what they pray for? Because they think God owes it to them. But if you can just say, hey, God, I haven't been great. Matter of fact, I've done a lot of things. I haven't forgiven the way you want me to forgive. I haven't led the way you want me to lead. I haven't loved my wife, Christina, how you want me to. I haven't been the father you want me to be. I haven't done this, I haven't done that, but do it anyway. Isn't that a bold prayer? But what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to go work on those things. And there's a place for that. But what if you were just crazy enough to say, God, I haven't done everything you've asked me to do, but remember me. I'm telling you right now, God, I was 33 when I came to the Lord, but remember me. I was 34 when I got baptized, but remember me. I've lived my whole life. I'm on my 20th girlfriend, and I know I'm single now, but remember me. I'm on my third marriage, but remember me. I haven't done everything right, but remember me. I've done more drugs. I've spent more years on drugs than off, but remember me. Can you have the audacity to say, remember me. And then can you be even more crazy to not ask God for anything but him and ask God to reverse the curse on the proximity you've been missing? Can you? Because it's one thing to ask God for stuff, but it's another thing to ask God for him. Hey, God, I'll, if you give me that, that'll be great. But you know what I want? You. Jesus came to reverse the curse on proximity. And you know what Jesus told that man? That's why I'm glad I'm not God. I would have told him, bruh, and I quote, right? I would have said that, bruh. I know you ain't going to be up in here hanging on this cross. You ain't did nothing for me ever in your whole life. And now you're going to ask me to remember you because you said something cool next to me? No, no. That's why I'm glad I'm not God. Somebody asked your, your, your enemy, asked you to bless them. I know you ain't up here asking me to drive you to LAX. That's the worst thing I could think of. <laughs> and 
I know you ain't up in here asking me for a ride to LAX, and you, you, you went south on me, you were my business partner, and you stole from me, and I know you're not, I know you're not, are you really, are you really gonna ask me to do that for you, and you never done anything for me because you got one little minute? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus turned to the man and said, truly, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. What? The word paradise is only used three times in the New Testament. One, in this moment. Two, when Paul has, is telling somebody about a revelation where he went up to the third heaven and was in paradise. And another one in Revelations 2.7 that I'm going to read where it says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to, what, to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Do you know what paradise is translated as? The garden. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about proximity. He's talking to a man on the cross who's done nothing right with his life. He's not saying, hey, you're going to get in to heaven barely. No, he's saying, remember how Adam and Eve had proximity with me in the garden? I've reversed the curse. And you got one minute translated to an eternal relationship with Jesus. Jesus took one minute of a man's life and turned it into eternity. One minute. Where in the world does that kind of math add up? Where you do something with for one minute and you get a lifetime. I wish I could go to the gym for one minute and get a lifetime of a six pack, but it don't work like that. But in the kingdom of God, one man could take one minute and it changed eternity for that man. Jesus reversed the curse of proximity. Who is that man that he would turn to him and say, hey, that man would have known about Adam and Eve. He just said, remember me. Maybe you're saying, Jesus, will you throw me a bone? Hey, Jesus, just make sure nobody leaves me or hurts me anymore. I don't know what your prayers are. Maybe you're in this place and you... You, you haven't done anything for God in your life, and you're just saying, Jesus, will you remember me? No, the, the curse has been reversed, and, and he's saying, not only will I remember you, but the garden is back open for you. Proximity's back open for you. We can walk together like how Adam walked with God in the garden. God wants to walk with you, and all you have to give him is a minute of your time. What if that minute is right now? What if that minute is right now? Does anybody have one minute for Jesus to reverse a curse that's been plaguing you? One minute.